0: to the CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. So today we're covering the news to know for the week of July 28th. I've got six stories on tap. We'll see if we can get through them all. The first one's going to be about the Universal Health Services settlement with the Department of Justice. The next one is about Senate advancing the drug pricing bill. We're going to talk about how Ascension got 100,000 additional visits this year with help from online scheduling. We'll touch on major hospital groups' recommended changes to the HCAP survey. That should bring about cheers. And picked up on this... Uh, article about Nanoware launching a clinical study around heart failure management that I think is really cool and probably something that you're not reading about every day. And if I get a chance, there was something I uncovered on someone's blog that I want to touch on um, That's uh, that's really cool. We'll see if we have time for that. So, like the other news recaps, I'll hit on the highlights of some of these articles and then we will say, well, why does a CMIO need to know about that information? And I'll make it, make it real for you. So the first one here is United Health Services, known as UHS, is, is to pay $127 million settlement to the Department of Justice, and the criminal uh, part of this investigation appears to be closed. To refresh your memory, you gotta go back to 2017, and this is America's largest chain of psychiatric hospitals. Here's a, this is from buzzfeednews.com. Two nurses from the facility, Brook Glenn Behavioral Hospital, said they had direct experience with the company holding patients longer than necessary to collect higher insurance payments. They recall telling doctors that patients were safe to be discharged, but that the doctors would ask when their last covered day was, the last day Medicare, Medicaid, or their private insurance would pay for them, and then discharge them on that day, regardless of their condition. UHS is a huge publicly traded company that does acute care, post-acute, assisted living and behavioral health, and they, like others in this space, are for profit. And so I bring the story to light because as CMIOs, we need to understand how incentives drive behavior. In this space, the incentives, in my opinion, are driving longer length of stay in the post-acute space to keep those heads in beds. There are incentives for the post-acute facilities also to send their patients back to the hospital if they become sick and complicated to minimize the impact on their nurses. Uh, Some facilities I used to work with, the patient would sneeze and they would call 911. That's a little facetious, but not far, not terribly far off from reality. Um, they, They don't want the sick patients there. And so as CMIOs, we're getting more involved with POP Health and with bundle payments, we need to be sure we understand these incentives. And it's interesting in Maryland, we have a new shared savings model that includes the post-acute facilities in the total cost of care. And these skilled nursing facilities and behavioral health facilities can impact and participate in those shared savings. As CMIOs, we may be in a position to affect change in this space. You may have access to claims data that looks at post-acute length of stay. You can say, hey, is there variability for similar DRGs between different facilities? And if yes, well, why? And are the readmission rates different or the ED utilization rates different? And you can start to ask tough questions about, are there programs in place? Perhaps your system could provide telehealth services to that skilled nursing facility or behavioral health facility to assist them when these patients are getting sick before the patient returns back to the emergency department. You can look at the handoffs between the hospital and post-acute, and then from post-acute to the PCP. How's that data flowing? So as we step into the pop health world and outside the walls of our health system, we need to be involved because there definitely are informatics and analytic challenges that fall to us. So the next story, As the Senate advances the drug pricing bill, setting up a September vote legislation limiting drug price increases in Medicare will face a full Senate debate in September after the Finance Committee approved it on a mixed vote Thursday. The bill could see some modification before then to incorporate additional proposals, potentially including a ban on rebates to payers. The pharmaceutical injury is opposing the Senate bill, saying would impose price controls and divert industry money from research and development, which is kind of their standard uh, rallying cry. So why does the CMIO need to know about this? Well, because drug prices are absolutely horrible and absolutely interferes with the ability for our providers to get patients the medications they need. <sighs> I'm not sure if this legislation is going to completely fix that, but it's interesting that they are looking at drug pricing. That's important. So this legislation what they're talking about is stopping the rebates that go from the pharmaceutical company to the middleman, the pharmacy benefit manager. Express Scripts is probably the one you know best because they're the biggest. That rebate doesn't necessarily funnel money downstream to the patient or the pharmacist downstream. That That's not where the money goes. So this rebate from the pharmaceutical company goes to the pharmacy benefit manager so that their drug gets preferred tier. They're always trying to get to that tier one, tier two status. That's where the rebates that they're talking about getting rid of. Interesting, in our system we just went live with a tool that allows price estimating of drugs the point of ordering so when I go to order a medication I can see that medications cost and also see alternatives and this is a really exciting piece of technology our providers are enjoying now and that's they don't get this sticker shock the patient going to the pharmacist and finding out their drug cost $600 and now they're calling back to the office one angry as to why in the world did you waste my time sending me to the pharmacy for a drug I cannot possibly afford and two, they're angry at the health system in general for having a drug that they need and now cost a fortune. So we can reduce some of that by installing some of this technology and also, hey, let's um, encourage these bills to move forward that help limit the cost of drugs to our patients. Next article. Comes out of healthcare IT news, how Ascension got 100,000 additional visits this year with help from online scheduling. The health system has seen a 779% increase in primary care online visits scheduled and a 72.5% increase in urgent care online visits scheduled. And it's all part of a larger vision. They interviewed the chief marketing communications officer at Ascension. We'll talk, that may be important. Here's the quote from him. Consumers expect an online experience when making healthcare choices that is easy and intuitive, the same as they have with other purchasing decisions. Click to schedule is just one part of an integrated online approach that Ascension is striving to create for a seamless end-to-end consumer experience for all those we serve. And yes, love that, all good stuff. My providers hate it, I don't know about yours. When we try to put the scheduling pieces in front of the consumers, the patients, our providers lose control of the schedule and that freaks them out. I have met resistance on this one and I've also gotten through it. I've not found that the providers have all quit because we put patient scheduling online. Now, let's put a caveat on that. I didn't do the specialists; did the primary care providers specialists I think have a fear that patients will schedule and it's not going to be the right patients. So if someone's complaining of shortness of breath, is that cardiac or is that pulmonary? Do they need the, the cardiologist and stress testing or do they need the pulmonologist? And that's where a primary care doctor can really make that decision and help steer the patient to the right provider. If patients could direct schedule to specialists, they, that would be a problem and the specialists are already so busy their access is is limited, so they don't want to waste slots. I, I get that. Primary care, on the other hand, you really do want those patients to get in. Access is important. Otherwise, they're using the emergency department. Um, I did institute a system similar to what they used in Ascension for urgent care. We put in a queuing um, a queuing software that lets patients reserve their spot online. For urgent care, love this, this the patients were really excited. They didn't have these two-hour waits in urgent care. They could just put their place in and then our system was able to see those patients within five minutes of their scheduled time. So that was really exciting for the patients. We brought that to our emergency departments, that technology. It looks like Ascension was able to put it in place. Our emergency physicians absolutely fought it. They do not like airing their dirty laundry and showing that there's a six-hour wait time. Um, I think that's unfortunate. I think It would help load balance. I think patients who do go and look online say, you know what, this one facility is really busy, the one down the street's not. I'm going to pick the facility that's less busy. That freaks people out in the administration because they're like, oh, we don't want to lose any of these patients. If you've got a multi-hour wait time, you're just generating angry patients. You're not going to be generating good experiences. Number one driver of patient experience in the ambulatory world has always been wait time. So um, if you're able to get your providers to just jump for joy when putting in these click-to-schedule type initiatives, let us know how you're doing it. Uh, we've, I've been able to do it, I just always found it contentious with the providers. Next article. Major hospital groups recommend changes to the HCAPS survey. The American Hospital Association The Federation of American Hospitals and three other major hospital groups on Thursday call for substantial changes to the CMS mandated patient experience survey. This is coming out of Modern Healthcare. They go on to say here that the survey is outdated and in need of an overhaul. CMS has required hospitals to give patients the HCAP survey as part of Medicare participation since 2007, and we're in need of a serious update. The report from the hospital groups outlines several major changes to the survey, including adding an electronic version, shortening the length of the survey, changing the questions, and re the survey every few years. No duh. Any of you who are working with age caps and patient experience would go, yeah, um, these paper surveys that get mailed out are garbage. We do it because it's required, but most of us have other survey systems in place, either from." Ganey or NRC or some other survey company, and we really are using, the, those are the electronic surveys, we're getting the ability to do customer recovery. Our patients, if they write in and they're angry, we can do something about it if it's electronic and we're getting that immediate feedback. I get a paper survey that has no place for patients to actually write about their experience, usually then the way we get feedback is through some nasty review on Google or a nasty letter sent to a board member. So really hoping that this does move forward and it seems like it might. Here's a um, a message from this, uh, it was a CMS spokesperson. The CMS seems to support an electronic survey. The spokeswoman said the agency is currently waiting for approval to test an email version of the survey. Excellent, we have finally reached modern medicine. The hospital groups would like to see the HCAP survey address care transitions, post-discharge experience, comprehension of care plan, and emotional and physical sense of safety. They would also like an option for patients to give feedback in their own words. Nothing more that I can say on this, I love it. Yes, please, can we do this now? CMIOs certainly need to know about this information. We. There there are definitely components of that HCAP survey that touch on the providers uh, thinking specifically about uh, the medications around the time of discharge. I believe CMIOs would be very excited if there was a change in this survey to something more modern and more useful. Next article I want to touch on. Nanoware announces clinical launch of Nanosense, a heart failure management and alert diagnostic validation study. This is somewhat of a press release from Nanoware, but nevertheless I think there's some really interesting things that that are coming out here. So this is a a tech company that makes wearables and they're coming out with a study here. It's going to be conducted at Penn State Milton Hershey Medical Center and Hackensack Meridian Health Systems using a proprietary nanosensor. Uh, They have developed a monitoring undergarment and closed loop machine learning platform which captures and algorithmically scores phonocardiography impedance cardiography measuring stroke volume and cardiac output multi-channel ecg assessing heart rate and heart rate variability respiratory rate thoracic impedance activity and posture the algorithmic score provides physicians and care management teams with alerts of worsening heart failure weeks in advance of a hospitalization of a hospitalizing event. This allows physicians and care management teams to manage their patients remotely while reducing the number of costly heart failure related hospitalizations. They do also say here it's going to be a multi-center, prospective non-randomized observational study that they're hoping to roll up to 500 patients in five centers and they're gonna be collecting those clinical endpoints. I love this. I I think that technology is really cool. I'm glad they're doing a study to to see if this actually works. I've been a believer that the technology we currently have for remote patient monitoring is inadequate. I've said this on other podcasts that checking the blood pressure, the weight, uh, the the pulse ox is just not enough to, to make a meaningful change in the patient's trajectory. So this sounds really interesting. And coming at this from a totally different direction with a wearable that's going to do impedance cardiography and measuring stroke volume and cardiac output. So very exciting to to hear more about this. We'll have to watch where this one goes. Looks like I'm running on time. So I'm gonna throw in one more story here And it comes from another CMIO and it's on his blog so Dr. C.T. Lin I hope you don't mind I'm giving you a shout out here it's all good stuff on July 24th he posted something that's called my resume failures and he puts up the, the the real truth about how he got to his journey when I look at people's LinkedIn profiles I see all these successes and You never see the bad stuff because that's not what we're going to put forward to the world. This is very brave of CT to put this out there and he's asking others to do the same and talk about some of the failures he has. I mean some of these sound really challenging. Um, He applied to 12 medical schools and and was rejected by the first 11. And then he talks about some of his CMIO difficulties. And in 1997, he was the chief complainer about the terrible state of computers and sent a provocative email to administration and they told him basically, go fix it. So that's how he started his journey into becoming uh, eventually a CMIO. Um, If you have not been to his blog, ctlin.blog is where to go. And I'm going to see if we can't get CT on the show. Uh, I think he'd be great to talk about some of these topics. Very brave and revolutionary to say here are the mistakes that I've made and what we all can learn from them because that is really the purpose of why I am doing CMIO podcasts there's no sponsorship there's you know no financial gain here this is to collect a repository from those leaders who have gone ahead and blazed the trail in informatics and analytics to share with others what their successes are, what their failures have been, what can we learn together, and store that so that future generations can have access to it as well. So that is the podcast today for the week of July 28th. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Weissman, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com. You can go to the website, cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. If you are a CMIO or a leader in health IT, please write in and help share your knowledge to other CMIOs and healthcare IT leaders, because we need your input. Look forward to bringing you our next episode.